Hi, I'm Wendy Francis, nutrition therapist, emotional eating expert, and entrepreneur. I've helped countless people overcome their obsession with food and weight. Isn't it time you overcame what you had become and ignite who you were meant to be? Your time to become an overcomer starts now. Welcome to the Overcoming Emotional Eating Podcast. Are you a sugar addict? Have you ever heard that question before? In today's episode, I address the controversial issue of sugar addiction. Learn, live, and overcome. Hi, everyone. It's Wendy. So tonight, I thought, what not a better lead-in, but to talk about sugar addiction, because in our country, it's a term that's thrown around a lot. Uh, I hear it a lot. I know that a lot of my colleagues hear it a lot. In fact, my colleagues that I do supervision with and teaching with are constantly asking me if this is a real thing. Uh, and it is on, on many levels. And after tonight, I want you to see what, in fact, has happened, one, in our country with respect to our sugar intake, and two, why do we think we're addicted to sugar, and are we really? so that you can make your own specific identification of what sugar means to you and what you need to do through this season around sugar in particular. Do you believe that sugar is actually the new caffeine? I read that in an article as I was reading some things today and getting ready for tonight's call, and I, I found it to be kind of a, an, interesting, uh, an interesting parallel. Is it really the new caffeine? And, and why would we say that? So aside from the increase in weight that sugar can provide if you overconsume it, we know from research that diets that are high in sugar are strongly linked to an increased risk for type 2 diabetes, elevated triglycerides, low HDL levels, Good uh, low HDL levels, and HDL uh, is the good cholesterol, just for those of you who, who uh, need or, or want to hear the difference in that, and heart disease. Sugar intake has also been linked to depression, migraines, mania, poor eyesight, autoimmune disease, gout, and osteoporosis. Most importantly, in my book nowadays, sugar is linked to inflammation. And the more I read about inflammation, the more I am actually motivated, and here's why. Because for so long, we looked at diabetes and autoimmune diseases and heart diseases and, and depression and mania and some of these other things as existing completely separately. But we now see that some of these things may be linked with an underlying issue of inflammation. Now, that to me is motivating because we may actually be on to something there. But if sugar increases inflammation, then we've got a problem, right? Especially if you have a problem with sugar. Even though everyone I speak to knows all of these things, and maybe you didn't know about the inflammation piece, but a lot of people for many years have known about it's linked to diabetes and autoimmune diseases and Anybody who suffers with migraines recognizes that. Just because we know this doesn't mean we stop it. It's an interesting thing. 
because we know that these things may be linked, but it doesn't mean we stop the behavior. So what happens, you know, does, does the research then really help to change things? Does the education really help us to change things? Well, not if you believe you're addicted to sugar and or maybe you have a physiological piece that is related to sugar after you'll see tonight. And there is ways to change that though. Recent research has shown that a high intake of carbohydrates, including sugar, actually releases a feel-good chemical in the brain known as serotonin. Now, a lot of people here have heard of serotonin, right? And that's how you might feel after you eat a really high sugary meal or treat. If you, if you exceed your sugar threshold, because we develop a sugar threshold as we continue to eat sugar, people can feel almost euphoric for a short amount of time like the child on the sugar high, right? The high of a sugar rush is temporary, we know. And so after a few hours or a few minutes, depending on how much you had and what your threshold is, you start to crash. You become tired and fatigued and lethargic. And for many people that are in the dieting cycle, that leads to a time period of not eating, maybe because of the guilt or the shame or trying to hop back on the horse. And if you don't catch it right then and there, you can drop your blood sugar and then need to hop back on the sugar wagon once again. We also know that sugar coupled with the various textures, and I've talked about this in many of my calls, but the ooey gooey textures, right, increases dopamine. So now we not only have serotonin, but we've got dopamine. So things like a hot fudge sundae, warm, hot, warm brownies, right, hot fudge, with ice cream on top. That ooey gooey absolutely increases dopamine. Now, dopamine helps us moderate anxiety. So serotonin helps us feel good, dopamine moderates our anxiety, and now we've got a bit of an issue, right? So although sweet foods are tempting and delicious to most people, we can blame Mother Nature for that, the more sugar you eat, the higher your tolerance becomes. So if you've gotten on a sugar wagon at any point in time, the more you consume, the more you need to consume to get that euphoric sugar high that we might, might associate with children running around on Halloween. But that intensity as we become older has to increase in order for us to feel that feel-good feeling. At a certain point, we tip it, however, and that's when people can feel like they're in a fog they can feel lethargic, they can feel apathetic because blood sugar has gone too high. So there becomes this kind of tipping point. Um, chances are you were not born that way, but your dietary habits and food choices can create kind of, quote unquote, that sugar monster that maybe you feel like is within you. So similar to other addictions, the more you consume, the more you need to consume to get the euphoric high. We also know that it imparts some brain chemistry with respect to serotonin and dopamine, right? Fortunately, here's the good news. You can reverse that just by cutting out sugar for a few weeks. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a few minutes. Because it's not where I want to really stop. I don't just want to stop talking about the sugar piece because 
the truth is there's a lot of other things going on behind this addiction, quote unquote, that I want you to learn about tonight. Sugar has been around forever. Sugar in its purest form from sugar cane has been around for a very long time. If you remember from your history books, and you may not because I didn't until I looked this up, in August 1492, Christopher Columbus stopped at La Gomera in the Canary Islands for wine and water. He intended to only stay for four days, but he actually became romantically involved with the governor of the island, and he stayed for a month. When he finally sailed, she gave him cuttings of sugarcane. That's how we got sugar in the New World, which is interesting. So today, we not only have sugar from sugarcane, but more likely you're to see sugar from other sources. You see, sugar from sugarcane has been around forever, and for a very long time, there was no talk of sugar addiction. There was no issue with it. So there are people that really, uh, researchers that are really trying to point the finger at other facets of sugar or, or things that increase glycemic index. And I want you to note that because the truth of it is, is it really sugar that you're addicted to or is it some of the other things that mimic sugar that we're putting in our food? For example, there's something called high fructose corn syrup created in the 60s. High fructose corn syrup is actually one of the most addictive substances we know, besides cigarettes. Interestingly enough, high fructose corn syrup was made by Philip Morris, and Philip Morris made cigarettes. Just to understand the link there, politically, there's an interesting piece there. Once high fructose corn syrup was actually made, they put it in everything and, ev and anything they could to help with the flavoring, so they said. So for a very long time, and even in some stores now, it's very hard to find things made without high fructose corn syrup. You really have to look. Now that we have places like Earth Fair and Whole Foods and Sprouts, those places do keep out, at least one of their promises, is to keep out the high fructose corn syrup. You've got to check for yourself, though. That's one of the things. There's other ways that you can get sugar-like substances in your food that can be affecting your glycemic index, which is what is giving you that quote-unquote high and affecting your serotonin and dopamine levels. I have a huge list of these things, but I'm going to say them as slowly as possible. I'm going to highlight the ones that I see the most, but there's a list of about 30. I'm going to highlight the ones that I've seen most likely. I want you to note these because what you have to figure out is for yourself, is it a sugar issue or is it one of these other things that isn't really sugar? Agave nectar and agave syrup become a bit of a hype in the last 10 years, still has a very high glycemic index. Beet sugar and brown rice syrup are seen a lot as well. Cane sugar and cane juice and cane juice crystals. That's not necessarily sugar cane, it is cane sugar. Do you hear the difference? Confectioner sugar, corn syrup and high fructose corn syrup are not sugar. 
Corn syrup solids are not sugar. Anything with an O-S-E at the end, dextrose, glucose. Glucose is pure sugar, actually, but not sugar cane. There's glucose solids, there's glucose sugar, there's glucose syrup. Obviously, there's honey, there's lactose, there's maltose. Anything with an O-S, again, is some facet of carbohydrate or sugar. Those are things you want to look for. Raw sugar is the only thing you see that mimics cane sugar. It's the closest that usually we can get. Sucrose is pure white table sugar. Turbinado sugar is the same thing. Just so you can hear and be able to look at your labels, if you have a problem stopping with, with a certain kind of food, you're unable to eat just one of those things, look at the ingredients. See what it's got in that. Could be something that your body really pines for and or is unable to stop or moderate. Because I hear so many people label themselves a sugar addict. And my first question to them is always, are you really a sugar addict? In order to understand more about yourself and your relationship to sugar, you've got to do four things. And I encourage everyone on the call or listening back to this to please, please do this because my passion is to make sure that nobody mislabels themselves. It becomes an identity piece. And when you identify as a sugar addict, you can feel really bad about yourself. And I've found for many, many clients that it dis enables them from actually feeling empowered over those foods. So first and foremost, you have to identify if sugar is really the issue or is it one of these other things that I mentioned. You can really do that by noting the ingredients on the products or foods that you overeat on. The products or foods that you can't contain, look at the ingredient list for anything that's an OS or anything I mentioned tonight. See if there's a commonality. That's something that your body, and everyone's body is a little bit biochemically different, but your body tends to gravitate towards. Take a look as to whether or not there are non-nutritive sweeteners that are part of the problem. That's number two. So get a sense if there's aspartame, Splenda, uh, any of the sorts in those things because they can be another level of addiction. They obviously are in a lot of diet sodas. Um, and that diet soda, I believe, to be a very uh, high addictive pattern in our country. And so get a sense of if it's a non-nutritive sweetener that's pulling you, if it's not anything that's listed above. Then recognize if it's a physical thing or a psychological thing. So physically speaking, if it's a commonality, if let's say there's three types of foods that you can't contain, that you really feel the urge to overeat on, then get a sense if there's an ingredient that's a commonality in all those things. You might be onto something for your particular body. Then get a sense if you're eating enough during the day. So I always tell people the easiest thing to rule out is, is, is if this is a physical issue. If you've eaten enough during the day and you have enough nutrition and you know it's an emotional pull towards these foods, then that's a psychological piece. However, if you're not eating and you're on that sugar-laden roller coaster I talked about, it could be physical. You've got to make sure you impart some nutrition in order to see if you can change that around. Finally, you want to see if it's a brain chemistry piece. 
Is it that you fall low in the afternoons, falling into a slump, and that you need some serotonin? Is it that you use food when you feel anxious? Could that be a dopamine piece for you, or could it be an emotional piece? So see which part of it is, it is instead of just throwing in the towel and calling it an addiction. Or, fourth, is it a belief or an identity construct that's been ingrained? Can't really tell you how many people, but it's definitely over a 1,000. I have worked with over the last 26 years that have walked in my office and or been in a large-scale a room with me where I've done teaching and or events that have raised their hand and said to me, I know I'm a sugar addict, I need your help. Or walked in my office and said, I'm a sugar addict and that's why I'm here. That's an identity construct. That's what you identify with. Now, if that's the case, you've got to change that right away because if we identify ourselves as something, it's very difficult to shift. Even if that identity is positive, sometimes it's hard for us to shift. If it's negative, sometimes it's even harder. So first and foremost, you've got to see, are you really a sugar addict or are you not? And what's drawing you towards sugar? What you say to yourself is really what you believe. If you actually believe you're addicted to sugar, you'll behave like an addict. That's what happens. Start to see it for what it is not for what you thought it was. If you do identify one of the things above or sugar as the issue, and again, as the issue, not as the addiction, right? So, so what's the issue? What draws you in? And if it's the food itself and not an emotional piece, there's a number of things you can do to actually empower yourself. First, and if you're on plan, this is happening. Take sugar or the predominant ingredient like we talked about at the beginning you know if you find that you know whenever i eat dextrose i have a problem with those foods or whenever i have something with high fructose corn syrup i have a hard time stopping eating those whatever you identify take it out of your house if you're on plan you shouldn't have any of those things in your house or or in your mouth right now right but for future, take it out just for now. It doesn't have to be a forever thing, it's just for now until you get a handle on how you can cope with this. So secondarily, make sure you eat breakfast with protein and fiber. I've had so many people over the years not eat breakfast. And if you don't, your blood sugar is dipping and dropping and looping all day long. Breakfast with protein and fiber helps radically keep our blood sugar uh, at, a, at a baseline level for the whole day. It's really beneficial, way more than we ever recognized. Number three, get enough sleep. Now, I know that that's hard. I get that we live in a country that doesn't sleep a whole lot. I get that we don't value sleep a whole lot. I've done a lot of talks on sleep lately, <laughs> and I understand that. But here's just another reason to get enough sleep. We know from research that the people that are most sleep-deprived wind up having low energy levels later in the day. That can produce sugar cravings because the brain starts to link sugar with energy, right? Now, we know that it gives the body a little bit of energy, but a lot of times people get that serotonin surge, and that can give you some energy too. So when the brain links sugar cravings and uh, sugar 
and sugar cravings with, with you know, tiredness, once you feel tired in the late afternoon, you're going to reach for some sugar, right? So getting enough sleep helps you to not do that. I've also conversely worked with people that really were running a tight schedule. It was very difficult for them to get that sleep, and I have to mention this. What they started to do, even though they couldn't change their sleep patterns at that point in time, they could at least identify, hey, I've got low, I know why I have, I'm craving sugar right now. It's because I'm super tired, and that's why I'm craving sugar. And they would actually go out for a five-minute walk. They found other ways to cope. If you go outside in the brisk weather, get five-minute walk, it will wake you up. If you get some water, if you're not hydrated enough, it will help. If you grab a piece of fruit, it'll give you natural fructose, it will help. So if you're identifying, if you're not able to change sleep patterns and you haven't listened to all my talks on that, hasn't convinced you yet, I get it. However, there's other ways you can cope with that dip in the afternoon. And the first is by identifying that you're craving sugar because you're tired, not because you're just craving sugar and you have to get into it, give into it. And number four, this is the biggest thing I want you to take away. Find other ways to stimulate your reward center, your brain. Because when sugar becomes the reward center, the, the reward realistically, and it plugs into that reward center of the brain, in order to feel good, to feel rewarded, to feel nurtured, to feel loved, you need sugar. If sugar acts on that reward center, you have to find other ways that will help you to release that as the reward. So what I mean by that is if you've used sugar-containing foods to be that reward, You've got to find other rewards for yourself that have nothing to do with food, period. Don't change from muffins to a salad, although they won't change brain chemistry quite the same way. But find time for yourself. Spark your interest in gardening that you used to have. Find time doing something you love. If you used to love to dance, find some time to dance again. Play a sport you used to play if you could. If you love playing cards, play cards. Find other ways to stimulate the reward center of your brain rather than using food. All of these things can help you if you really identify sugar or one of the other components earlier that I mentioned as a source for overeating for you. It's really important and you can empower yourself over these feelings as time goes on. I don't believe that we have to be addicted to sugar or caffeine or anything else if we really know how to harness this physically, psychologically, emotionally, and behaviorally. We can all be empowered over anything that we need to be. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, share it with a friend. Rate, review, and subscribe. You never know who you'll help become the next overcomer.